Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some free eBooks and drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you wanna know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, including some episodes on breakups and relationship management. That's where all the basics are, so get a handle on that first. We've got boot camps running every single month here in Hollywood, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com. Looking forward to meeting all you guys here at AOC. Today, a nice chat with my friend John Rulin. He's actually the number one Cutco salesman ever. We're gonna talk about his secret, as well as how to be an amazing gift giver and how gifting can open doors in business and personal relationships, which makes perfect sense, but it's something that us guys don't often apply. We're also gonna talk about what it takes to get to the $100 million executive that has everything, how to apply gifting in business, politics, slash your own relationships and even marriage, how to cultivate thoughtfulness and creativity in the gifting process, and how John nearly died proposing to his wife. This is worth a listen just for the story, I promise, and using social media to select the perfect gift for your significant other. So enjoy this one with John Rulin. So John, you were a sales all-star at Cutco, which is a knife company. Am I underselling it by saying knife company, or am I pretty much good with that? Yeah, I mean, it's probably anybody that is connected to Cutco would say it's a little more than a, a knife company, but at the end of the day, we're trying not to take ourselves too seriously. So yeah. that's, that works. But I mean, this is a big deal because you have a rank and your record is unbroken. There's a million plus, literally a million plus guys that have gone through and trying to sell these knives and you crushed it. Yeah, I mean, the, the company's been around since the 40s, so... There have been a lot of guys and gals that have come through the doors of Cutco in the last 65-odd years. In the last 30 years, they have a college internship division that they'll work with as many as 100,000 college kids in a year. It exposes a lot of college kids to sales, and there's actually colleges out there that have made it a requirement to sell Cutco in order to graduate with certain degrees because the training is that good. So there have been maybe 1.1 million people plus to walk through the doors. And uh, some people sell it for a summer. Some people sell it all four years. And there's a growing group of people that have revolutionized the Cutco business and are doing it professionally after school, raising families of as many as eight kids. How many knives do you need to sell to feed eight kids? A, a lot. Tens of thousands. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, a, it's basically selling it to businesses now on the corporate gifting side, which is really... The whole reason that I was able to, to sell so much was I viewed the sales process and the way to use it a little differently. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a bit. I have a friend who was selling Cutco knives. I mean, we were in Boy Scouts. We were probably like maybe 16, 17. I can't remember now. I mean, it was a long time ago. And one of our friend's mothers is actually deaf. When you are talking with her, you need to look at her in the face so she can read your lips, right? 
And yeah. giving a knife demonstration and not looking at the thing you're cutting is actually really dangerous, as you probably know from being a knife salesman. <laughs> so what happened was he looked at her so that she could read his lips, and he sliced off the tip of his thumb Shut with, with a Cutco knife. <laughs> and here's the quality of the product. That shit went right through his thumb. I mean, it was an immediate trip to the hospital for Mark Campbell. If you talk to people that work in the ER, this sounds silly and a little bit self-serving, but they'll literally tell you when it's a Cutco knife, as weird as it is, like it's basically like getting cut with a scalpel. So it was probably the easiest thing that Cutco knife cut that day was (laughs) was the thumb of of your buddy, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, but you know what? She bought knives after that because how could you not? (laughs) <laughs> I have had a few in my time, especially in college, I have had a few sympathy sales of cutting myself. Definitely not on purpose. It's not one of those things you do to get the sale, but that is the silver lining for sure. Yeah. So if, if you really think the sale's going downhill, just slice off a finger and they'll be like, you know what? Those suckers are really sharp and I feel a little guilty right now. So I'll take it. That guy or gal is committed. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to buy just based on the commitment level. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So aside from cutting off fingers and things like that, I mean, now you've sort of expanded. You get you got a platform from this, and you got a lot of good training and things like that. You were reaching out to leaders and executives and things like that. So where did you go from selling knives to where you are now? How did that happen? And where are you now, for that matter? The training was great. The exposure, you know, it's a great product. It is a, it's handmade in New York. So you have this best-in-class product. Fortunately, I grew up a poor farm kid in Ohio, one of six, you know, got the straight A's. So I was going to go be a doctor, at least so I thought. In college, I got the grades. But fortunately, I had a a mentor at the time. It was my girlfriend. I ended up not marrying the gal, but her dad was an attorney. And he was one of those guys that was super generous, always giving away things. And I pitched him the idea of giving Cutco pocket knives to his clients because he was he was the kind of guy that would give away like find a deal on noodles and give like a year's supply of noodles away. You know, like the school benefit would have like a Harley up for auction and he'd buy like a third of the tickets and win it and give it back. So I pitched him this idea. thought, well, Paul would give away pocket knives to all his clients because they're all men and they're out in the country and blah, blah, blah. So when I pitched him the idea, he said, can I engrave pairing knives with my name or with their name? And I looked at him like he was crazy, but I was like, sure, I'll sell as many pairing knives as you want, but you have to tell me why. And he said, well, because they're all married, and if I take care of the whole family, everything else takes care of itself. So I really what I learned from Paul was it wasn't about the knife. Even though the knife was amazing and useful and classy and unique, it was all about the application of how to think about how to be memorable with clients, how to stand out with these executives who were getting things all the time, dinners and golf and whatever else. And so I started to apply the principles I saw him applying, these generosity principles and these giving principles. And so I would find out an insurance company I wanted to target. I would find out the wife's name of the CEO and I'd take a carving set. I'd engrave his wife's name on it and I'd put a little note inside that say, you know, carve out five minutes for me. I promise it'll be worth your time. I'd get the meeting. The guy would be blown away that I was like, you know, 20 years old and I would start doing programs for them to appreciate their employees or to open up doors. And so a lot of where we're at now is uh, we've kind of trademarked the term appreciative leadership. So essentially we're, we're speaking, teaching, consulting, you know, from million dollar companies to $20 billion companies, professional sports teams, you name it on how to stand out, be memorable and build better relationships, leveraging tangible appreciation. 
And so if you talk to most leaders, 80% of them are men that are type A, very driven, and they suck. They're not very thoughtful gift givers, and they're not very thoughtful in general. So we teach them how to do that, and oftentimes they come back to us and say, you're right, we suck, can you help us? Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, just to give you credit where credit is due, I asked you for help giving a gift to somebody, and then you gifted me the gift, and I was like, damn, that was pretty ninja. You know, I wouldn't have thought of that. I didn't see that coming. I won't lie. I think there's um, there's a lot of people that are out there preaching a lot of things. And I've found, you know, from mentors that, you know, when you walk the talk and that's a really a simple way for us to add value to somebody's life is we we're talking about, you know, spending money on a headphone or a microphone or whatever else. Like it's amazing what people will go cheap on. And usually gifts is one of those areas that's like low hanging fruit. Like people like think about a hundred dollar gift and they like freak out, but they'll drop $200 on a meal, you know, walking the talk and saying, yeah, I'll comp you a $150 gift. Like that's an easy, it's a no brainer for me. But the reciprocity that it builds in a relationship is just really, really powerful. It makes sense because a meal is not a good gift, right? Because it's almost like you're both kind of investing your time in it. So if one person picks up the check it's different maybe between you and I. Like if you and I are, are eating and, you're, and I'm like, let me get lunch, I think you'd probably appreciate it. But if it's for business stuff, it's kind of like, yeah, somebody was going to pay and it's not really your money because it's your company. Even if it's your own company, it's just it's not as good as, as a thing that you can see two years later and be like, oh, yeah, I got that from John Rulin. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think we're selfish. Like if we can partake in the meal and the $200 bottle of wine or the $100 bottle of wine, or if we can partake in it, we're like, we kind of justify it because we're all kind of like at a visceral level. We got to enjoy the meal as well. But I mean, if, if you think about what somebody's time's worth, and that's what I started to get good at was I would go into a meeting or a lunch and not only would I pick up the tab, but I'd show up with a $200 gift and say, your time is probably worth three or $400 an hour. And so whether we ever do business or not, I want to honor that time. And here's the gift. Thank you so much for carving out time to meet with me for 30 minutes today. And people were just, these CEOs, not only are they shocked that you already have your credit card down for the bill, which is kind of like, okay, that's classy. But you show up with a gift just to appreciate somebody's time. It was a game changer. You want to talk about like six months later, making sure that I get a phone call back if I ever have an idea or a question. It's like an automatic Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially that whole Cialdini reciprocity principle in effect, but also you get a little bit of a, it sets you apart, right? It really does, and it's not just in a very cliched way, and so I really dig that, and I want to talk a little bit about how you select that, and also how we can, maybe if we don't run a business, how we can use this in our relationships, because you're right, most of us as men are, in terms of thoughtlessness, we're pretty crappy gift givers. In fact, my mom, I got her a Mother's Day present, I got her a bunch of watercolor pencils, and she's a watercolor artist. To me, that was pretty obvious, but she went, you know what, this is great, you know, you put a lot of thought into this, and I was thinking, wow, my dad must be the worst gift giver ever, because this is a pretty (laughs) obvious win. I mean, the bar has been set so, so low. Yeah, when somebody says what they're doing for their spouse or their significant other or their friend, I mean, I just push back and I'm like, really? Flowers is the most thoughtful thing that you can do on Valentine's Day? It's like, well, that's kind of a given. Like, step up your game. Do flowers in the middle. Like Gary Vaynerchuk talks about, give flowers on July 12th. It's like, why July 12th? It's like, because nobody else is giving flowers to their wife on July 12th. Like, that means something save your high level gifting for the times when it's expected and take it to another level. And the cool thing is it's a learned art. Like 
I'm a guy like I grew up on a farm. Like I wasn't around like really classy gifts growing up. So if I can do it, here's a pig ear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up milking goats and like wearing like garage sale special hand me downs and whatever else. So I mean, maybe that's made me a little bit more attentive to you know the thoughtfulness of a gift because I didn't have much growing up. So when somebody does something nice, like you really notice it. But I sure as heck wasn't going to country clubs and like giving away Gucci purses and stuff. Like I grew up like saving 10 bucks here and 10 bucks there was like a huge deal. So yeah, yeah. we had sort of mentioned that everything that we do in life involves other people and how they feel about us creates our world slash their experience of us. Right. And not only are guys generally horrible at saying thank you and giving great gifts, but it's also, we're just bad in general at showing other people. It doesn't matter if they're our wife or our business partner or our clients or anything, even just people that we, even our friends, especially our friends, I'll wager. Um, we can't really, we're not good at that. And if you can learn the skill, you'll have more clients, more closer friends, build deeper relationships because these simple gestures are kind of irrefutable proof. You know, you might have a really close friend, you might help him move and he might drive you to the airport. But if you give him a pair of cufflinks, he's like, you know what? This guy's a really solid dude because who knows? You might lose touch over eight. We're guys. We lose touch over eight months and you kind of wonder what the other person's up to. And then you go back to flipping channels. But if they're going to a wedding and they throw the cufflinks on that you gave them, it's like, boom. And it's as humans, we're sentimental. But as guys, we just totally discount that. Yeah, I, I didn't define this term, but a buddy of mine who is an amazing gift giver. He's very creative and just he teaches. His name's Joey Coleman. He teaches on the first 100 days of relationships in business and how important that first 100 days is about solidifying. But he talks about it as the artifact, like what's the artifact of the relationship and what's that tangible thing that you point to and you're like, yeah, that guy's my boy, you know, like um, or it, it, just every time you look at that item, it invokes the emotions and reminds you of all the crazy binges, you know, benders, the the whitewater rafting trip that you almost died on, like all of those memories come flooding back. But because we're so visual as humans, like you have to have something tangible and, and photographs do that. But, but you know, oftentimes photographs get kind of put away and forgotten about. But, but yeah, the cufflinks or kind of the cool little detailed gifts that's special that gets used on a regular basis is really uh, the ripple effects pretty incredible. All right, back to the show. I think that giving guys a little bit of an overview on the ROI of appreciation and gifting, where it can fit into what you're doing, I think that would be really valuable here. So let's talk about that. I mean, what is the ROI of appreciation and gifting? I mean, as guys, a lot of guys are listening and they're like, I don't care about cufflinks. I don't care about gifts. Like, come on, you know, Jordan, what are you doing here? Nobody cares about this. Grow up, you know, but I think it has more of a subconscious effect in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I touched on it before the, you know, we're all built for reciprocity. I mean, you look back, you know, 5,000 years ago, like when you were in a position of power as a king, like one of the best things you could do is give a gift. And anytime like these heads of state get together, even to this day, especially Eastern culture, you look at Asian culture, the item, the gift that you give is the value that you place on the relationship. I mean, they'll give literally $20,000, $30,000 watches because they value the relationship. So they're going to show you that in a tangible way. Now, I don't think you have to go to that level, but I think that the ROI is, you know, what is it worth to you when your clients will take your phone call? Uh, what is it worth to you when they'll give you the benefit of the doubt? You know, in relationships with females, you know, oftentimes I think guys, you know, if you look at like the five love languages, 
we oftentimes give the way that we want to receive. And so we think I'm not, a, I don't care that what kind of gift I get. So why would I care? But, but most gals, one of their top love languages is gifting. If you look at it like psychologically, you know, the reason a woman wants a big ring, one, she wants validated, like one, she's going to be able to brag to her friends. But the biggest thing is like, it shows you the value that person places on their significant other. And that's a huge deal. So, you know, if you look at relationships with your, just your significant other, what's ironic is I was very good at it in business and I sucked at it with my wife. And the fact that I was good at it in business and she saw that and then saw how sucky I was at home, the ripple effect was pretty, um, let's just say the ROI was, uh, was not very good. And I saw that and I was like, if I'm going to be good at gifting, I better be good at home first and great at business gifting second. It's hard to put a dollar for dollar measurement on it, but here's what I can tell you that the people that are at the highest levels of business, even to this day, even if it's not a gift, it's like the thank you note, they're still writing handwritten thank you notes. Like the people that I respect the most that are worth the most money, follow the trail. Like they're the ones that are still taking the time to do the little details and that act of appreciation is I think the reason that they got to the positions that they're in. Yeah, in fact, when I, I've gone to North Korea a couple times, there's whole museums filled with gifts from every place in the world, companies, countries, leaders, heads of state, famous people, to the Kim family, they're the dictators of North Korea. They make sure you see that stuff. Now, before I was like, why would anybody show off gifts? But you're right, it is a very Asian thing to be like, look how important our leader is in the eyes of everyone else. Right. Yeah. It's like that social proof taken to the, to a just a ridiculous extreme. And by the way, if anybody wants to send me a $30,000 watch, feel free to go ahead to that extreme. I will appreciate it. <laughs> but I think you're right. You don't always have to go to that extreme to show thoughtfulness. How does that appreciation play out in our marriages and our relationships as well? I mean, you'd sort of mentioned, you know, your wife spotted you as a little bit lax in that area, right? And how did you, one, how did you improve it? And two, how can other guys who are listening be like, yeah, I always give my wife flowers. What? That's no good. And meanwhile, their wife is like, he doesn't even care. He just buys me whatever crap comes into his inbox on ftd.com. Yep. In a marriage relationships, I think that, you know, oftentimes as guys, like once we get the gal and we put a ring on her finger, we think the work is done. What I found, um, and you know, I have two kids now, like the work just starts, you know, like marriage is like a business or anything else. Like it's really worth it, but you only get, you know, out of it what you put into it. And I think as guys, we're like, you know, we don't want our wives to change. We just want to like be able to keep doing our own thing. And I think that women want to be wooed. You know, they wanted to be wooed to get to the altar, but um, the wooing doesn't stop just because you have a ring on her finger. And so I think that wooing process, like, you know, think about the, the creativity you put into maybe the proposal or the wedding or, you know, an anniversary date before you got married. I realized the amount of attention I put onto my business and my business career of being successful and, and what I would do, what I'd be willing to do to land my dream client. And I started to apply the same amount of creativity, thought, resources um, to my wife and the things I was creating for her as I would for my best client, my dream client. And so when I started to put that kind of attention towards it and say, if money was no object, what would I do? And one, I think it was just being aware, you know, like recently for Mother's Day, I wasn't sure what I was going to do for my wife. And she talked about traveling with me to a speaking engagement down in Dallas and I had remembered that she, there was a, her favorite author was going to be signing books down in Dallas. And so 
I took her book without her knowing about it and she couldn't get away from our two little girls to come down for the signing. And I, I never really mentioned it again. And I went, I rearranged my schedule so I could go to this book signing. I bought, I got it signed to her. I got it, the other, her new book signed. And then I got the gal to do a, a 15 second video talking directly to my wife and gave that to her for mother's day. And she just melted, man. I mean, she was just blown away. Now, what did it cost me? It cost me the thought I was already in the city. I had to rearrange some, some schedule, you know, it cost me probably $30 for the book and the creativity in the balls to just ask the big time author to make a video. She melted too. She's like, you know, she wasn't married, but she's, you could tell, like, she was like, man, I hope my husband does this kind of stuff for me when I'm married someday. I mean, I could talk about, it helps you get laid and all those kind of things which kind of <laughs> results of, of those sorts of actions. But at the end of the day, I mean, you want to have an amazing marriage and an amazing relationship, put the same amount of energy and resources that you would for your best hobby or if you're really into business and success and finances. What we focus on gets better, whether it's working out or anything else. And I think this is a muscle that you can work in. It isn't always about spending the most money, but it is about the focus and uh, the attention paid to. Excellent. So how does this apply at work, though, even if we don't own the company? I mean, yes, in relationships, that's an amazing idea. And I love the idea of focusing like you would on your hobby. I think there's guys out there listening to this right now that probably paint little lead figurines or whatever, and their wife is upstairs if you know if they have one, because a lot of lead figurine guys, well, we don't need to go there. But in, in this example, the guy's downstairs painting lead figurines and his wife is upstairs, you know, cooking dinner. And he's like, oh, I got to get her something for her birthday. I'll get her a gift card to Target or whatever, you know, or take her out to dinner. And it's like, eh, you've been down there for eight hours painting little lead figurines. Like, what could you have created with that time one day a year? Um, yeah. But how does it apply if you don't own the company or, you know, you don't maybe don't have clients? You know, most people, if they don't have clients, they either want to be managing people or they are managing a team or a part of a team. And I think that what's interesting is we work in almost every industry under the sun from IT to insurance to professional sports teams. It's all about people. And so we get what we negotiate and we get what we're able to lead, you know, from a leadership perspective. You know, we want to the higher up the ranks we get, we're usually over more and more people. And I think that most of the time, the people that we're leading or the people that are our peers on our team, if you were to crawl inside their head and inside their soul, they're walking around feeling underappreciated in some way, shape or form, either by their spouse, either by their boss, either by like their kids. Like most people walk around feeling underappreciated. So I think that if you want to make huge jumps up the career ladder, if you're just a cog in the wheel of a company with 50,000 employees, you start treating other people almost as if you do own the company on your little team of 10 people. Because it's amazing and you start to appreciate those people, even just verbally and with the handwritten notes and just paying attention. And if you look at the best performing teams, there's six positive comments or things that are done for every one negative. And most companies, at best, it's one-to-one -one ratio of, hey, you're doing this wrong or, hey, you, you screwed up on this. <laughs> oh, yeah, great job here. So if you can think about that six-to-one ratio of how you're going to appreciate and show – with just your peers and the people that are surrounding you, I think that's a huge, huge thing to jumping the ladder very, very quickly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of people don't really take ownership inside companies. In fact, it's something that every company I know struggles with and it's really, really tough to get people to care as if they were an owner. But those that tend to just make the leap and do it anyway tend to be much more successful and rise or climb the ladder a lot quicker. 
And people do love to be appreciated. You know, they don't expect it necessarily to come from the CEO, but as as a team leader or even a sub-team leader or a manager at work, people appreciate those gifts or that recognition from people that they work under, regardless of whether or not you have equity in the enterprise or not. Yep, and as you climb the ladder, when you're a giver, one, you get the benefit of the doubt, two, instead of like a bullseye on your back, like why the heck is he climbing the ladder? When you're a giver and you're taking care of people and appreciating people, like they want to give you a boost. Like they want to push you up because of how you've made them feel. Now, it's not all rah-rah. Like at the end of the day, you still have to execute and perform and, and have tough conversations. And so it's not like, oh, just, you know, like hold hands and sing kumbaya. But in general, if, if you can have that six to one ratio, people are rooting for you versus like talking behind your back when you're a giver and when you're leading with appreciative leadership. That's a really good point. I didn't, th- I didn't even think about that. I'm sure there's plenty of that in every enterprise. So let's talk more nuts and bolts about what makes a great gift and what do I need to think about before I do that? Because it's really easy to say, like, invest a lot of time. But there's a lot of guys who could probably spend 14 hours at a store looking at every item in it and still not necessarily know how to give a thoughtful gift. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, one thing is, you know, if you want to take care of, check the box on, you know, Valentine's Day and whatever else. But I think the biggest thing is, it's a year round. It's a 365 process. You know, like you don't like work out one time a year. You have to work out regularly if you want to have, you know, a six pack. And, you know, finances, you don't think about finances once a year. You're probably not going to have good finances. So I think a big part of it is to make it a habit. You need to kind of put together your list of core key stakeholders in your life. You know, it could be your girlfriend or your boss or your team or whoever, but, you know, write down those people. It's kind of a basic thing, but if you don't know who you're going to appreciate and you're not thinking about it on a regular basis, it's not going to happen. Um, when it comes to the actual gifting process, I mean, I have a checklist, you know, from a business perspective, but in general, most of us tend to think about a gift from our perspective and we don't think about the recipient. And a great example of this is how I proposed. I thought my wife would want this like laser light show and whatever else when I proposed. And so I went to this crazy degree of complexity to get engaged. And did you actually get a laser light show or is this an exaggeration? I didn't, but I, let's put it this way. It involved like the TSA talking to, um, United airline professionals. It involved videographers. It involved disguise and like literally like a Hollywood disguise of makeup and artistry and, uh, sneaking onto a plane without them knowing who I was. And, and I almost died. Um, let's put it that way. Yeah, because they probably almost shot you when you tried to sneak onto the plane. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't that, but yeah, literally, I was—I ended up in the ICU, and and so like I thought it was the coolest like Romeo and Juliet love story ever. Wait, you ended up in the ICU? Yeah, and I was on a breathing machine. It was ICU, like crazy. Wait, are you able to tell this story? Yeah, I mean, I'll try to give the abbreviated version. Okay, yeah, let's just forget what we whatever I asked you before and tell this story right now instead. All right, well, that's, <laughs> I can do that. If any of your your listeners have seen the movie The Notebook, they probably were forced by their significant other to watch it. Uh, it's really romantic. Have you seen it, Jordan? I I'm not sure actually. Probably was forced to at some point, but I yeah, think. I mean, it's really romantic. It's like this love story of these you know this couple, and it's told from the perspective of this old guy. It's in a nursing home, and you don't realize it's like his story and his wife who has Alzheimer's, remembers who they are after hearing this story every day and then forgets 10 minutes later. And so he's like, it's really, it's cheesy, but it's romantic. It's got like Ryan Gosling in it and 
anyway, for whatever reason, it was a chick flick that I loved and my wife loved too. And so I almost lost my business like eight, nine years ago. And that was the time that we started dating. So she was very neglected. She moved to another state. I just wasn't, you know, engaged in any way, shape or form emotionally. I was just trying to save my company. And so I wanted this engagement to be something that would like really demonstrate my love for her and just take it over the top. So the game plan was I created my own notebook. So I took a leather bound notebook, voice recorded me reading like 50 pages worth of our story details. I thought I knew she would have thought I forgot and put together our notebook. And so this leather bound notebook, I cut out like Shawshank Redemption style, a hole in the back of it and sealed it with wax. And I put the ring in the back of this notebook. And she was living in St. Louis at the time. I was in Cleveland. And the goal was I would fly in with my brother who works in Hollywood. And we would change inside a, a bathroom stall and make me look like I was like 90 years old with like gained 100 pounds, had false teeth, glasses. And I had arranged with United to be on the plane ahead of time and be sitting beside her as she's reading this notebook and listening to me read the story. And at the end, it starts talking about, will you love me when I grow old and gain weight? And I start to describe the person sitting next to her. And so she would realize it's me. I'd crack open the notebook, get down on one knee at 30,000 feet, propose. Her family, I had arranged to drive nine hours and be waiting for us, stretch Hummer limousine, photographer, and our 100 closest friends to party. We rent out a whole restaurant. The challenge was everything went according to plan, but when I went to go get onto the plane, my brother was there. He had delivered the package to her at the airport, and um, I collapsed. And so my brother thought I was part of the act, but they turned me over, and I have a solid blood. And so they say, call 911. A pilot from another plane gets off, thinks this old guy's having a heart attack, so he takes the defibrillator off the wall and puts it on me and shocks me. Oh, no. Um, I, all of a sudden, like, they start cutting clothes off of me and my wife. My girlfriend at the time goes from like cloud nine thinking like how romantic to like she freaks. So they're trying to revive me. They can't stabilize me. FBI is on its way because there's a guy in disguise getting on an airplane. uh, Meanwhile, like they tell my brother who's there, like they pull him aside and they're like, Lindsay's like, why the frick are they talking to him? Like, why aren't they talking to me? She thinks it's, they're telling them that I'm dead. They won't let her get into the ambulance because she's not family. So she's in the back of a cop car, like, saying prayers, just crying. And she finds out from the cop in the cop car that I was going to propose. That's why I'd flown into the airport. Going to ICU, breathing machine, whole nine yards. I run every test under the sun. Bottom line is I was very healthy. But what I had done, once a year I do like a cleanse of some sort. Sure. And I had done this really restrictive cleanse. And because I was in an airport under super stress, getting ready to get engaged, and I was on this cleanse, which reduced my carbs, and I didn't eat anything that day, my body went into basically like I had a low blood sugar seizure that the machine misdiagnosed went to shock me because normally it wouldn't shock you. Now back to the good stuff. But you had a disguise on, so God knows what that machine was like. Hey, there's no pulse because it's on, it's on fake skin and whatnot. Oh, yeah, my God. So yeah, so it, it shocks me and literally shuts my whole body down. So I could, easily could have died because I was already in a weakened state. And that machine's only supposed to be used when you need to, like, be shocked back to life, not yeah, the other those, way around. If it can start your heart, it can probably stop your heart, right? I mean, pretty easily, yeah. So, and, and I tell that story to say that. She would have been just as happy if I'd flown in, surprised her, and went and like had dinner and got down on one knee. Because it was Valentine's Day weekend, so she was not expecting a proposal. She was expecting like something fun and cool. 
but I didn't think about the recipient. I thought about myself because I thought that was cool and fun and unique and people would think how cool I was. And I, it was all about me and not about her, even though, yes, it would have been romantic if it had gone according to plan as much about me versus saying, what did she really want? And at the end of the day, she just wanted to be engaged and like, you know, start a life together. And I made it a Hollywood production and uh, almost died in the process. So she's not really a fan of that story even to this day. Yeah, um, she's scared. She was scared big time when that happened. I mean, there's no getting around it. No, I mean, it was like, it was like her worst nightmare come to life. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. Okay. I don't tell the story all that often, but I've told it enough. I've had people like hear about it in different parts of the state. I've been, you know, I've had different people want to interview me and they want to talk to her but I won't put her through that portion of it because she just like the idea of like having to interview about it and like go back into those moments is not like a fun place for her to go. She'll, if we're at dinner and somebody brings it up, she's like, fine, you can tell it. And then, you know, like, you know, I dumb it down and, and basically like give her the platform to tell it the way that she wants it told. Because the way I saw it and the way she saw it are two totally different things. Yeah. Oh, um, oh man. So, yeah, what I thought was going to earn me like a bank account of a million brownie points, I started off the engagement with a negative uh, balance of like two million. Um, Yikes. Obviously, she's way past it. and We have a great relationship, but it's not perfect. But it's uh, I, but I'm way better at thinking about like the whole book thing is more up her alley. Um, yeah. The, from this to the book thing, I'd say you've you've toned it down several notches while keeping the thoughtfulness level up to par. Um, yeah, you know, it's a work in progress. It's so funny. The people that are closest to you, it's the most difficult to think creatively and give with them in mind, not yourself. It is the most challenging for the people that are closest to you, but it is possible. If I can tone it down and figure out how to give with the recipient in mind after the insanity of what I like to do, anybody can do it. Excellent. So. Okay, so how did you go from heart attack on the airplane mode of thoughtfulness to book author video level of thoughtfulness you know how do we train ourselves to become a little bit more thoughtful are there exercises that we can do you know if i'm listening right now and i'm like i'm a crap gift giver my girlfriend always gets flowers and chocolate how do we go from flowers and chocolate to video from her favorite author where do, where do we go how do we cr cultivate that creativity yeah well i mean i think the big thing is is that avoid the typical you know it doesn't matter who you're gifting if they've received it before, then it's not unique. It's not creative. So do I do flowers occasionally? Yeah, but it's usually when I'm on a business trip and it's just like I want to surprise her with a little something. But I'm not expecting like the bank account of brownie points to be like going through the roof. It's just, hey, I'm thinking about you. And so I think having a proper perspective on you know, on what the gifts are and, what, and what's realistic to expect. I think that's a big challenge is when we give something, we give with expectations. And we think we're doing this great job by giving flowers or chocolates or a nice dinner. And the person that you're giving it to, like, if it's not unique and really over the top, like, I, I think I've dumbed down my expectations to where there's no expectation. So any sort of, like, response is a good response. I think that's a big thing to kind of make mental note of because we give and we are hoping for sex or we're giving and we're hoping for whatever. And if we don't get it, we're disappointed. Whereas if you give and it's just because you love the person and it's not because of the response, you kind of unattach yourself from those expectations. I think that's a huge thing to kind of practice. It's not easy to do because we do typically give with expectations. Mm -hmm. But I think as far as some basic 
thought process to put into gifting on a regular basis is, you know, I have on my phone like a little like Evernote category that anytime I come across something or I hear Lindsay, my wife, mention, you know, things that she likes or thinks are cool, I'm constantly just keeping a running list going. Now, some of those may never end up being given as gifts, but I think if we wait until like a week before and all of a sudden are trying to rack our brains, like as guys, like that unnecessary information is easy to just think about and like it goes right in one ear and out the other. So I think kind of keeping that running list going and then looking for the things that only you would know about your wife or your significant other or your girlfriend, like the book thing, like my wife is, you know, she can wear stilettos, but she's also a hunter and she loves the fact that she's this like country girl. And so like she hates being misunderstood. And so she loves the idea of being a, a working woman, but also a great mom, a, you know, a girl that can wear the black dress, but also wear camouflage. So I know that's a hot button for her. And so that book, Woman Hunter or something like that, I knew that was a hot button for her. So I went, when there's an opportunity to take that and run with it, like that was something that would have meant way more than you know spending $1,000 on jewelry. Even though she loves jewelry, it's not nearly as creative. It's not nearly as thoughtful. So I think you know, as we're kind of building that list year-round, building that habit, and just being aware and actually listening to what they're saying and looking at what they're pinning on Pinterest and what they're commenting on on Facebook. And social media is a beautiful thing when it comes to trying to find ideas and things that women think are cool because they're constantly putting out those vibes of what they're impressed with, what their style is, you know, what their tastes are. You know, like 50 years ago, like you – you really had to like pick up on those clues, which I think you still is important to do now. But I think the social media side is something if you're not on Pinterest, freaking get on Pinterest, even if it's just to check out what your mom and your wife or your girlfriend or your assistant, like find out what they're what they love, what they're passionate about, what makes them smile. Um, Pinterest is a great idea because every girl, you know, is on it. And also it's going to be pictures of things that she thinks are cute. Maybe she would never actually get for herself, but that's a perfect gift, right? Something that they might not buy for themselves, but would like to look at or have around somewhere. Absolutely. It means you were thoughtful enough in that you took interest in them and their passions and their interests. And then, you know, you have to listen for the subtle cues of would putting her name on it. Is there a, a nickname? Is there a date that ties in, like look for the little like detail that you can kind of make it personal to just you and her, you know, that kind of takes it over the top. You know, the books would have been cool, but the video was something I knew, like the fact of her being called out by name by this girl who she kind of, I don't say idolizes, but really respects and looks up to, like that's what took it over the top, you know, that little video. But you have to know that but some people, they would have been turned off by the video. You have to make it about the recipient, look for the little unique cues, keep that running tally, and then leverage social media to your benefit. Excellent. And now there was a couple of other things that we had touched on before the show as well. And you have this thing called a, an appreciation plan, and you do one for business and one for personal. Tell us about that and why it's important and how to do it for that matter. Well, I mean, it's I call it a plan or a roadmap, but really at the end of the day, I touched on it before, which is make sure that you have your key stakeholders, if it's a business or your key relationships on paper. You know, on a business side, I take and assign a, a value to those relationships. 
So if it's a client, like what are they worth to you profit-wise? And what could they be worth profit-wise in the lifetime of their relationship with you? I think a lot of times we're very short-minded as guys. We're like, you know, want the results and what have they done for me lately? But if you look at like whether you're in the car business or selling toilet paper, I mean, some clients could be worth literally millions of dollars worth of revenue for you. And yet we're like skimp out at a 50 or $100 gift. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. So I think, you know, really at the end of the day, it's putting down on a piece of paper who the key relationships are, what their value is, you know, short term and long term, and then figuring out, you know, the things that I just referenced, what makes them tick, you know, for my client side, like I have literally like there's a guy, Harvey McKay has the McKay 66, which is like 66 different pieces of information about your clients things like kids' names and assistant names and where do they like to vacation and where do their kids go to school, where do their kids want to go to school. Like the more you can have down on paper and know about somebody and actually have to reference, the more that you'll be able to do when it comes to appreciation and finding out like I just had a a prospect that was on vacation and I found out where they were going to be eating dinner at. And so I made sure a bottle of champagne was waiting for them when they checked in. You know, it cost me 50 bucks. But the response of that person, you know, knowing that I knew where they're going to go to dinner and actually taking the time to set that up, you know, puts me in a whole nother league. And it's, so the more information you can have on that plan and on that, that roadmap, the more you can start to measure and, and say, gosh, that person's like my number three client and I haven't done anything for them since last June. I need to step up my game for the second half of this year and I need to to figure out what I'm going to be doing. On the business side, I try to do something for my best relationships at least once a quarter, you know, so four times a year and not always at the same time. You know, part of the roadmap for me is I never give a gift between Thanksgiving and Christmas when it comes to business relationships because that's when everybody gives a gift and it's usually a token gift. It's fruit, it's wine, it's scotch, it's the same consumable type things. I kind of lay out a plan of when those four times are going to be. On the personal side, it's picking my times that are not, you know, Valentine's Day, anniversary, birthday. Like those are a given. It's picking at least two to three other times throughout the year when it's a, I love you and I was thinking about you just because. And that's where the flowers and some of those sort of things can work because it's at a time that's not expected. The best analogy I can use is, you know, if I came over to your house, Jordan, on a Wednesday night and I just surprised you and I had a couple pizzas and a couple six packs of beer, like you'd be like, dude, why are you doing this? It's like, hey, I was just thinking about you and, and I knew you were traveling a lot and, and I just wanted to hang out with you. You'd be like, dude, that's amazing. Yeah, like, come on in. Let's hang out. Whereas if I told you like it was your birthday and I told you I was going to bring over pizza in your head, you're thinking like, I hope he doesn't cheap out and pick up Papa John's. I, he better pick up. XYZ pizza and I hate Bud Light. You better pick up this kind of beer. Like when you can do things as a surprise, the expectation level goes way down. That's a good point. That's a good point because it, it's just like, man, he showed up with a, a bottle of Mohawk vodka and some Domino's, which is everyone knows is the worst pizza in America. I'd still be pretty stoked. Exactly. Whereas if I told you six months ahead of time I'm bringing pizza, you would be like, uh, you know, you would have an expectation of what that pizza should be and whether it should have meat or cheese or double cheese or where it should come from, what the beer should be. So yeah. the surprise element, laying out that plan and, and being able to execute not just the times that are expected, but the unexpected is a big part of that roadmap and where you can earn some huge brownie points with your relationships on doing things just because. Thanks so much, man. This is excellent. And uh, we'll, of course, 
Link to rulinggroup.com from the show notes where guys can find out more about corporate gifting if they want to actually step their game up in that area. And we're going to link to your Twitter as well. Is there anything that we forgot that you want to leave us with? No, I mean, the, the ruling group is one. John Ruling is more like the speaking, teaching, kind of the appreciative leadership side of things. And the, the ruling group is more the actual execution of a plan for somebody in their business. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out for my next book, The Appreciative Leader. It should be out by the end of the year. But no, Jordan, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Not a bad show, guys. Never give a lame gift again. And of course, you can always retell that story about how John nearly died proposing to his wife. That's kind of nuts. The moral of that story, no cleanses and no disguises and keep it simple. I hope that this helped you guys. I definitely started creating that appreciation plan for personal and business relationships. And it's actually really helped out a lot. Gifting has helped. It's not buying relationships. It really is keeping people at top of mind and having them do the same with you. So I think if you're an entrepreneur or you just want to up your level of relationship intimacy with your significant other, or you just want to take your friendships and other personal relationships to the next level, gifting is not a bad way to go about it. So I hope this helped you guys out, and I will see you next time. Solid show as usual, if I do say so myself. Show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details, that's our live training at theartofcharm.com. And that's also where you can find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for The Art of Charm Podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's it. You guys can also help us if you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher. Give us a five-star rating and write something nice. We'll love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash The Art of Charm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily and get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing training from us. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it.